0: I'm your host, Coach Todd Halls. I am so happy to be here. I'm grateful to be with you today and listeners. I am forever grateful for you for tuning in. I'm excited for today. I'm excited to share what our guest has with you today. He, uh, Craig has an amazing story. Uh, today we have Craig Andrews. He is a husband. He's a dad. He's an entrepreneur. Uh, he's an author. Uh, he's also the principal ally and founder of marketing agency. Allies for me, and so much more. I can't wait till you hear his story. It is tremendous. Uh, so, with that, Craig, whatever I've left, whatever, go ahead and fill in some of those blanks that people may be curious about.
1: Uh, Todd, so good, glad to be here. I've been looking forward to this. Uh, no, I, I mean, I think you, I think you covered it. I'm a uh, sort of a transplanted Texan. Grew up on the East Coast, moved to Texas, been here the last 19 years. Looking forward to number 20. That's awesome. Hey, what part of Texas are you in? I'm in Austin, Austin, Texas. All right. All right. What's your favorite thing about Austin, Texas? Wow. Tough choice. I would say the thing that I enjoy the most on a daily basis, and that is just the amazing beauty of the hill country. So I live on the west side. I live in a suburb called Bee Cave. And my backyard is a steep drop into a canyon that's a nature preserve. And so I just wake up every day with a, an amazing view of God's creation.
0: It sounds amazing. You paint a good picture. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about um, just about your recent backstory. So, first, you, you've got two books coming out. Uh, very soon, it sounds like one is hope that won't die, a survivor story. The other one is it's called make sales magical. Um, and I'm, I'm, ex- I'm excited for both of them, but what, uh, tell us what prompted you? Uh, what was the fuel for hope that won't die, a survivor story?
1: Yeah. So two years ago, I was waking up from a six week coma, realizing I, my body completely atrophied and, um, some bad things had happened and I had to, I uh, had to learn how to walk again, had to learn how to do pretty much everything again. But what happened, if we back up a little bit, um, you know, my wife and I woke up July 31st of 2021, uh, both feeling horribly sick. And over the next few days, we realized it was COVID and, um, And most people, COVID just, you know, you know, runs its course and it would pass. And, but, and it did that for my wife. But for me, it landed me in the hospital on August 10th. And by August 22nd, they were calling my wife in the middle of the night asking for permission to put me on the ventilator, which we both knew was a death sentence. Mm -hmm. And uh, as a matter of fact, something, Really interesting in my wife and they, when my wife and I the other day were looking through some pictures, and videos from the time, and I had the video the goodbye video that my wife sent me when she thought I was about to die, and wow. we watched that yeah it's a little eerie, but that's and that's because that's what the doctors told her what happened they for a solid month, they thought I was going to die and Uh, obviously that didn't happen. About six weeks later, I woke up and started reassessing what was going on. Uh, and as I mentioned, I couldn't move my arms, couldn't move my legs. I could wiggle fingers and toes, but that was it. Um, you know, I just completely atrophied. And when I woke up, I was on a trach, so I couldn't talk and that was challenging. And, um, and for about the first two weeks after I woke up, everything was just kind of foggy, you know, still trying to figure out what was going on. But uh, after that, you know, my wife started filling me in on the details of what had been happening. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's nothing short of a miracle that, you know, that I made it. And, um, and so since then, it's been kind of a continuous path of recovery. It's, you know, I've. I had, as I mentioned, I had to learn how to walk again. And, um, you know, and it's first six months I got home, I was living downstairs in the living room because going upstairs, initially, I just couldn't go upstairs. And then uh, even after that, going upstairs was challenging. But uh, doing way, way better now.
0: Yeah. Awesome. We're glad you're doing better. You posted a video, uh, was it Facebook or LinkedIn? Uh, Seems like last week. Um, as you, you just finished a run, I believe, tell yeah. So how's, you know, we're, we're two years into it. You're here. How's that physical journey coming?
1: Uh, you know, it's, it's rough. I, uh, no, I, I was at camp gladiator this morning and that actually went well, but running is hard and it's hard from a couple of reasons, a couple angles. The, and it's going to be hard to appreciate, hard to understand unless you've ever experienced you know, kind of prolonged suffocation. But when I'm getting ready to run, I have to go through a bunch of fears. Am I gonna? Uh, am I gonna run out of oxygen? Am I gonna pass out? Am I, you know? Well, if if I do pass out, what will happen? Will I crack my head? Will anybody see me? Will anybody, you know, be there? And you know, once I get over those fears, I go run. Grand distance of half a mile. You know, I used to run three miles. And now it's uh, half a mile and it hurts. Uh, it makes my lungs burn uh, about halfway. Although this is getting better for a while, about halfway through the run, my legs would start buckling. And then when I finished you know, it, it would take 10 to 15 minutes to recover. And that you know, involves a lot of coughing and hacking and uh, heavy breathing and you know, things like that. But, you know, bit by bit, it's getting better. Awesome. We're glad, I'm glad it's getting better. So
0: you mentioned going to Camp Gladiator. I'm not familiar. What, what's Camp Gladiator?
1: So imagine showing up in a parking lot with a, a mat and a couple ham weights and you do various types of, uh, you know, sort of CrossFit circuit training. Uh, in that parking lot there 's a coach out there that that leads you it 's you know it 's really neat it 's you have accountability you have camaraderie you know it just it 's been very important very critical in my recovery and the trainers have been awesome my My very first camp gladiator was january of twenty twenty two this was about two and a half months after I left the hospital and it was a even by even even by most uh, standards, it was a cold winter day. You know, we do have cold day, cold winter days in Texas. And I think it was, you know, like 30, you know, 30, 32, something like that, which, uh, you know, the Minnesotans are laughing. They're like, that's spring. And, uh, but it was 30, 32 degrees. And I showed up in a wheelchair and on oxygen. And my trainer looked at me and she just, without skipping a beat, she's like, okay, here's what we're going to do. And mm-hmm. she actually ran two sets of training. There were, I think, five or six other ladies there. And she had them doing one sort, uh, one set of exercises. She had me doing another set of exercises. She was completely unfazed, uh, absolute pro- uh, professional, and uh, gave me an amazing workout. That is awesome, and it reminds
0: me of the power of a good coach, a good trainer that can that can manage that and meet you meet meet their folks where they are at. Um, so, as you talk about Camp Gladiator, I'm, I'm glad you found that because uh, it seems like it's been a you know a, a great benefit. You mentioned going this morning, and it went well, and that's one description of your physical journey. On the other side, you told us about this running experience where every time you do it, you have to overcome fears, like it's, a, it's just a whole different experience. And if you're getting stronger and fitter and doing what you need to at Camp Gladiator, as you are, why do you put yourself through the run?
1: Um, um my lungs are a mess. And it's the only way to get my lungs stronger. Okay. And you know, Camp Gladiator has taken me a, you know, it's taken me a long distance, but there's some healing that can't happen there. I have to push my lungs and I have Got to it. do it over prolonged, you know, longer periods of time, more stress, and it's making a difference. You know, I, la- I measure my lung capacity almost every day. You know, I have a, there's a little instrument called an inspirometer. So my day looks like this. I start the day measuring uh, blood pressure, oxygen levels, and um, heart rate. And then I end the day measuring the same three things, but then I also measure my uh, lung capacity. And last night I measured the highest lung capacity I have since I left the hospital.
0: Huh? <laughs> That's awesome. 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 Glad to hear that.
1: Yeah. So, but yeah, it's just, you know, and I would imagine, you know, you run into this with, you know, with your clients, there's, there are things that they're doing that are good, they're helping them to grow. But to take it to the next level, you have to introduce something new, you have to do introduce something different that really pushes your limits. Sure, all the time. All the time.
0: So going back to when you were in the hospital, you shared something with me um about about your bride, about your wife and, and what she did. And when when I told my wife about it, I got emotional as I am right now because it's so I think because it's so powerful. So could could you share a little bit about that? About how your 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 wife fought. Um to be there with you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, if, if most people remember back during COVID, people were dying in the hospitals alone without their family. And that was the path that the doctors had mapped out for me. And they, they were very clear with her the night they asked her um, permission to put me on the ventilator. And basically they gave her a choice between, do you want your husband to die quickly or do you want him to die slowly? And, but they were like, he is going to die. And she, uh, she said, well, I'm going to come visit him. And they said, no. And she's like, no, really? I insist. And she actually, and they said, no. And she's like, well, um, do you want me to put you in touch with my attorney? And the hospital finally said, okay, you'll get an hour a day. And so she came in for that hour a day and she would come to me and she would sing to me. Uh, she would pray over me and she'd say words of encouragement. And the, I heard that, I heard that in my dreams. And, you know, we haven't talked about the, the dreams, but I've actually repeated back to her word for word things that she said to me in my coma. And that was such an encouragement. And, you know, in my, in the world I was in, which was, I call them dreams of sort of, Dreams is the word I use because I lack a better word for it, but it was halfway between reality and a dream state. And it was just a very hopeless place where I was constantly struggling to break free. I was in different situations where I was stuck and I was trying to get unstuck. And, you know, I remember one dream where she came to me. I can tell you the exact day. This dream happened. This was September twentieth of twenty twenty one. And in my world, I was in a weird medical commune in West Virginia. It was in a Victorian house with lacy white curtains and yellow tinted lights. And they had put a willow reed in my throat that was supposed to make me better, but it it hurt and it, it was uncomfortable and it prevented me from talking. And my wife came in, and she came in on my right. And I looked at her, and I said, please get me out of here. What's happening here is not good. And that's where my dream ended. And what's really interesting is through a number of events, I know exactly where that was, You know what day that was. I know it was September 20th. The Willow Reed was my trach. You know, my brain just interpreted it as a Willow-Reed and it was supposed to make me feel better, but it was uncomfortable and kept me from talking. Normally she visited on my left, but that day she came in on my right. That's one of the ways that we know which day it was. But the fascinating thing is my dream ended when she arrived and she went on to spend another hour with me and it hit me, you know, I was in such survival mode. At that point I'd been diagnosed as uh, clinically anorexic, and um, and you know, my I completely atrophied, my body had weathered, and I was just in survival mode. And when she showed up, I knew things were safe, and my brain was able to kind of go into shutdown mode, knowing that she had me.
0: Hmm. That is just, it's so incredible. It's hard to, (laughs) it's just hard to process all that. Um, The, the, the power of, of love and companionship. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Truly amazing. So, and thank God your wife is a fighter who said, no, I'm, I'm going in.
1: Yeah. And that's, I mean, you know, without a doubt, she saved my life and, and multiple times, you know, just providing that hope while I was in the coma and people you know, and if you haven't gotten this point, if you have a loved one in a coma, go to them and talk to them. And if there's anybody saying anything discouraging around them, throw them out of the room. Messages make through, make it through. But there's a time a few weeks later after that, that I, I'm convinced if she wasn't there, I I don't think I'd be here today. And at this point, I'd woken up, but I still had my trach. Uh, world, the world was still very foggy. And a nurse comes into the room. And this is something I don't remember. My wife told it to me. But again, I, you know, um, I was really in survival mode. My body was using minimal amounts of energy, uh, brain energy because the brain consumes tons of calories. And But the nurse walks into the room. And looks at me and she says, can I get you anything? Now, of course, she's asking somebody with a trach that can't talk. And I look up at her and I mouth, you know, food. And she laughs at me and she leaves the room. Now, I'd been clinically diagnosed as anorexic. My face was sunken in. My wife said I look like a POW. And the nurse just laughs, says we can't get you food. And she leaves the room. And I look over at my wife and I said, I'm starving. And at the time, all of my dreams were me negotiating for food. And I was literally starving to death. And I really believe I was at a a crossroads there. I was either going to get stronger and live, or I was going to get weaker and die. And I'm so thankful that she was there to figure out I was starving. So they pumped more slurry in my stomach so I could start getting stronger. Yeah. (laughs) Huh. <laughs> that's incredible on, on
0: on several different levels. Uh I could easily get stuck on the nurse that's, that's laughed and said we can't and walked out like uh it's hard to fit
1: in your head. <laughs> like uh, But you know, it's it, you know, we, we do that with our, our customers. I do that. I, I try not to. I'm better at it than I used to be, but you know, a customer comes to me and they're complaining about something. And I just quickly like, Oh, they're nuts. They don't know what they're talking about. We dismiss them and we miss the fact that they have a real need.
0: Yeah. What comes to mind is how often do we do that with our kids
1: oh, or, or, yeah. or, or our
0: spouses? You know, when, when, when everybody's healthy and something comes up, how often do we do that to the people we care about most? Probably way more than we'd be comfortable admitting.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So you made it through, you're we're, we're, we're two years beyond it. What's, what's on the horizon? Clearly, clearly God has purpose for you. Uh, what's that look like uh, as, as you envision the future? Yeah, as you know, You're you an author now, you got books coming out, you got the business. What lies ahead, Craig?
1: Well, you know, the first thing I'd say is I think God has purpose for all of us. The difference between mm-hmm. me and, and a lot of people is I'm just more aware of it. That's a great point. And Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I mean that's the reality. Um, God has purpose for all of us, and you know, and, and if you're trying to figure out what that purpose is, look where He's put you. You know, sort of a theme of the of my life for the last two years has been play the hand you've been dealt. You know, this, this isn't, this isn't exactly the life I wanted where I go out, you know, try to run a half mile in just total fear and, you know, and pain. But that's the hand that I've been dealt. And, um, and, but more importantly, playing that out. And so one of the elements, and I would say to to, the, to your listeners, whatever hand you've been play, uh, um, given, play that hand. And, and in that, I think you're going to find the purpose that God has for your life. You know, he's put you uniquely around people that he wants you to impact. And so you don't have to look to somebody who's been through something traumatic like me. You've got, you've got your own story to uh, share. Um, In terms of what that means for me, my wife and I have this book coming out. It's called uh, Hope That Won't Die, A Survivor Story. It, the we'd been thinking about writing our story, but the the moment where it really hit us was we um we were at church one morning and uh we were down front helping, you know, pr- praying with people who wanted somebody to pray with them. And there was a lady just bawling her eyes out, uh praying by herself. And my wife went over to her and said, Hey, um, can I pray with you? And what what's what's going on? And she said two years ago, um, Two years ago, my husband died of COVID, and he died alone, and I feel so guilty. And, you know, this this horrible disease has hit a lot of people. You know, I was talking to somebody last night that knows two people that were killed by a drug called remdesivir. It was a drug that they gave me as well, put me in kidney failure. That's... Usually, what it did—it's a miracle that that survived that. But he lost two friends that that died of uh, died when they gave him remdesivir, which oddly enough, multiple studies have shown that drug does absolutely nothing in the treatment of COVID. But they kept prescribing it, and not only that, but the government gave him a twenty percent bonus. It's on cms.gov to this day. bonus if you prescribe remdesivir in the treatment of COVID. And so we've written this book for people that, you know, for survivors, some survivors, you know, went through it and lived like me. Some survivors are the survivors who lost somebody. And, um, and, you know, a lot of them are wrestling with guilt over decisions they made. My wife, For what's worth, you know, my wife's to this day wrestles with decisions she made, you know, and, you know, and I think that's just sort of the natural thing. She's like, well, if I'd done this, you know, or if I had done that and I keep telling her, you can't go there, you know, you can't go back. You made the best decision you could in a stressful time with the information you had. And, and so we want to speak to those that are wrestling with that guilt and, help them understand that the deck was stacked against them. You know, so the, the book is, comes in three parts. It's section one is Craig's story. Section two is Karen's story. And section three is, um, you know, lessons from the journey. And, you know, in that section three, we we really dig into how this deck was stacked against them, how people were put in the position where it was hard for them to make the best decisions for their loved ones. And, and we want them to understand that they, um, you know, while whatever happened was tragic, you know, God still gives them life and their choice every day is same choice. I have, how are you going to use the gift of life that God gave you? That's probably
0: a good question for all of us to just to hang up on the wall, hang on, hang on the, hang on the bathroom mirror that we see first thing. Yeah. Uh, your children, the the, the kids, how, how did, how did they weather all this? How are they doing?
1: Um, they've, you know, they've been amazing. Um, the, um, you know, they, they're they obviously very thankful I you know, made it through it. Uh, Karen's youngest son was just so incredibly strong and powerful for her. Uh, he was actually, you know, he played a main a big role in her being able to visit me in the hospital and uh, just did a lot, you know, for her in, in those early days when I first went on the ventilator and you know and just you know we made this point earlier but you have to understand the context as soon as i went on the ventilator everybody thought i was a goner and so he was there being a support you know to karen through all this where they were basically assuming this was the wind down and you know my funeral was you know around the corner and um but then um yeah, you know, he didn't stop fighting. She didn't stop fighting. And so kids have been amazing. That's awesome. Awesome, awesome. Yeah.
0: So Hope That Won't Die. I can't wait to get my hands on that. I get the, I get the feeling it's going to be <laughs> uh, an emotional read. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I'm looking forward to that. The other book, so, so uh, shifting to business a little bit, Make Sales Magical. Uh, tell us, tell us about that. What's, what's a magical sale look like both, you know, from both sides of the transaction or, or, or the, uh, relationship we'll say.
1: You know, it's probably easier to define what's not magical is you know, when you get, I think we all know what's not magical. Uh, it's, you know, that, that, um, You know, it's that pressure sale or if you're like me, I'm not, I don't, I don't like selling. I'm not a salesperson, uh, which is kind of bizarre that I've written a book called Make Sales Magical, but I'm not a salesperson and I don't like it. I don't like the scripts. I don't do well. And so, you know, years ago I had to recognizing that I needed to put food on the table, but I, I was no good at sales I had to go through a shift and instead of, uh, instead of trying to sell, it, sell, I decided I was going to create an environment where people wanted to buy. And part of that was something that we call an irresistible first-time offer. And it's a, it's a low-ticket offer. And actually, to call it a low-ticket offer would be a little bit of an understatement. It's a stupidly cheap offer that you sell before selling your high-ticket offer. And probably the best way to think about it is if you think in courtship, it's kind of like going out on a coffee date. You go on the coffee date because you hope for bigger and better things, but there's no commitment in the coffee date. There's, you know, you're just kind of testing things out. And that's what the um, first time offers do. And they're usually like a, a little mini project. And I was meeting with a client yesterday. We were, it was our second meeting in the delivery of that and uh and this is it's the most rapid trust building mechanism that i've ever found and because one of the things you do for them is you solve a problem and when when i was on this call yesterday and we're working through some things we ended up solving a couple problems um you know and there was just one thing that came out in the process and all of a sudden they looked back and they were like oh my goodness i now know why our sales calls have been failing And, you know, they, uh, and it was like a light bulb came on. Well, the beauty is when you come along somebody shoulder to shoulder and you solve a problem in their life, it stimulates the release of oxytocin in the body. Oxytocin is the bonding hormone that bonds baby to mother. And so what ends up happening, and this is where the magic is. Once you get done delivering this first time offer, you don't have to do a sales pitch they Their response is typically, "Hey, what's next?" and then you just start mapping out the thing you know you're like that's when you present your high ticket offer, and that's the magic of it is you you, you focus less on persuading, you focus more on serving and you do it in a very structured way. The way these offers are, uh, they have to be, I learned the hard way, they have to be structured very exactly. But when they are, um, they are magical. And it's better for you. It's better for me because I hate selling and it doesn't make me do the things that make me uncomfortable and feel slimy. But it's better for them because they get a ton of value in, the, in advance. They figure out that you're the type of person that they want to work with. And it puts them in the driver's seat so where they can say, you know what, I want this to go forward. And they, you give them their autonomy. And yeah, you know, that's a whole nother topic that we talk about for a while. But you know if, uh, if you want to see people squirm and twist, try to take away their autonomy. If you want to see people be generous, and engaging, give them autonomy.
0: Processing all that, <laughs> uh, and and also just trying to put myself into a, you know, in a situation where I've lost my autonomy, where where you, know, you start to feel restricted, and yeah, it is like even just thinking about it,
1: I start to wiggle a little bit. Uh, yeah, mm. and, and, and you know the pandemic did that, and it, it was really interesting. The, you know, the pandemic. Oh, sorry about that. Very, very. Um, the pandemic did that, and um, and the um, and so I started seeing some behavior that was really interesting and i i I may have written a blog or email i think i wrote an email about sending out to my email list but i started noticing this behavior that was really interesting uh at the i would go to the grocery store and there would be somebody that would be parked right in front of the front door in the roadway and they were just waiting for somebody to a lot of times they were just waiting for somebody to come out of the store to get in the car or they would sit there and they would totally load up their car while blocking traffic, and not far away was a Starbucks, where people were doing the same thing. They were just parking themselves in in the way of uh, that I uh, was you know just completely in the way. And you know, at first, my initial response was, "That's really irritating. I think you're a jerk." And. Once I once I got over what it meant to me, I was I kind of slowed down. I was like, okay, well, what's going on in their life? What's happening? What's driving this behavior? And it hit me. I was like, you know, for two years, people have told them where they can go, when they can work, how that, you know, they have to mask, they have to do this, they have to do that. And I think what I'm seeing is is people are just revolting. And they're they're acting out to Take, you know, grab back some sense of autonomy in their life. And, you know, like a lot of bad behavior, a lot of bad behaviors dr- driven out of some type of hurt, you know, that yeah. we have. And, and, um, and my, and I believe that's what was going on. And, and it's interesting, as we've moved out of the pandemic, I've seen far less of that. I've still seen a little bit, but far less. I mean, this was a weekly thing that I was seeing. Yeah, And, but that's an example of what happens when people, you know, whether, you know, this is a challenge with raising kids. I mean, kids, it's, you know, kids and parents, it's the whole battle for autonomy. And, you know, when the kids feel like they've lost their autonomy, what do they do? They act out and they do bad things. Well, if, if you take away your customer's autonomy, what do you expect them to do?
0: <laughs> right, right. We expect them to do what they want. <laughs> I wouldn't have taken it away, but they don't. <laughs> they act out, right? Yeah.
1: <laughs> well,
0: interesting so in observation. Terms of, Go ahead. Yeah
1: so, yeah, so making the sales magical, we just kind of map out process. Now, if if you're one of these people that can sell ice to Eskimos, I said in the book for you, uh, you're probably not interested anyway. But if you're somebody that's like me that sells because you have to, not because you love it, this is a place to bring some magic into your life and into your customers' lives.
0: Fantastic. I can't, can't wait for both of these books, Craig. I'm, I'm excited to get my hands on them. Uh, I want to just jump back quick and, and emphasize a point you mentioned. When somebody is acting, uh, let's say less than nice, like something we, we think they're acting like a jerk or whatever you mentioned, we don't, we don't know what life dealt them that day. Um, you know, we, we don't know. We don't know if they've got a loved one in, in an ICU unit, you know, ICU that they're not allowed to see. We don't know. And so listen, listeners and myself as well, let's just, let's bring grace first, uh, grace before anything else when, when we're out in public, out on the roads, wherever we happen to be, because we just don't know what everybody else is carrying.
1: Absolutely not.
0: Craig, this has been awesome as we, as we wrap up, I would, if you would leave our listeners with one important or impactful
1: question you would have them thinking about. Hmm. Well, here's an easy one. When was the last time you walked through your own sales funnel as a customer? That's a great question.
0: Yep, yep. For, for, for all the, all the folks, well, all the folks in business if you're in business, you're in sales, whether you're ready to admit it or not. Uh, uh, when's the last time you walked through your own sales funnel? Thank you, Craig. Craig, for any of our listeners that want to uh, get to know you, would like to contact you, would like to work with uh, Allies for Me, what's the best way to to find you, track you, stay in touch with you?
1: Yeah, probably the best thing is just come to our website. We have ways to get in contact there. Our website is Allies for Me. Dot com that's spelled A L L I E S the number four M E dot com and uh, and so there's a number of ways of getting in contact there I'm also on LinkedIn uh, but the um, I actually have a gift for your audience two gifts uh, we talked a little bit about these first time offers uh, you know and they're, they're they go into the book spaces uh, of the book make sales magical I have a guide that helps people avoid some of the mistakes I made. And I made many mistakes in figuring this out. And uh, so we have a guide, but we also have 23 days access to a course to help people build one of these officers, offers that they make sales magical. Uh, just to explain why 23 days, uh, we study human behavior. And I know if you sign up for our free course, uh, you'll never take it. You'll get to it next month, and then the month after, and then the month after. And a year from now, you will have completely forgotten about it. We want it to change your life. And so we put a 23 day limit on that. And we see it in the analytics. When we do that, people come in, they consume the content. That is our goal. So the way they get that is they go to alliesforme.com slash why not me? All lowercase, all one word, alliesforme.com slash why not me? And they will get those two gifts. Well, thank you
0: so much on for for myself and on behalf of listeners for the gifts. Thanks for and just sharing with us what you're up to in your journey. I am so grateful that we had this time
1: together. Likewise. Thanks for having me. It's been a delight.
0: Awesome. Listeners, as always, thank you so much. Be no point in being here if it weren't for you. So super grateful for you. Before we leave. Whatever grand vision you've been given, whatever dream God has put in your heart, remember, you can. Until next time, be bold, be humble, stay healthy, stay hopeful, and live life strong. Peace, everybody. Well, thank you so much for listening. For even more on turning trials into triumphs and seeking and embracing success, go to toddhalls.life. That's toddhalls.life. And I look forward to serving you. Until next time, be strong, be bold, be humble, stay healthy, stay hopeful, peace to you.